Hello humans of triathlon and welcome to the hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with triathletes from all around the globe and from all walks of life I'm Swapnil Chauhan here with my co-host Charles Hunk and Radmom Robin along with an amazing guest So today's story is about personal success. It's a story about following your gut instinct, even though you're exposed to a world that is showing you to behave and act on a certain way. Today's story is about a guy who didn't really practice sports in his childhood, doing a number of challenges, both physical and maybe environmental. When he started college, he was roped into this typical student life in America a life that has been many times and in many ways portrayed in Hollywood movies. Now imagine endless supplies of alcohol, beer pong Olympics, crazy fraternity house parties with people jumping off roofs into swimming pools, or losing your virginity competitions, you name it. And then of course you have lifting in the gym, tons of studying and tons of sleeping as well. So actually it's not a very encouraging environment to practice sports. On his last year in school, age 24, while working as a bartender in a nightclub, is when he had this realization that something was wrong. Always, you know, around drunk adults who in their prime years of life were just wasting away at pubs plus spending crazy amounts of money. So he felt it was time to get his act together and forge a new path for his better half of his 20s. It was during his time that a friend asked him to join a triathlon race. And while some of our previous guests started with, you know, like simple bikes, and one of our guests even started with an old touring bike from the 80s, our guest was lucky enough to get on his first race with a brand new specialized shift triathlon bike. He did it, and after finishing 13 overall and winning his age group, I think it's very difficult to say he wasn't super hooked to the sport by then. So from the United States of America, a land known for its passion for triathlon and perhaps for hosting the most number of races on a single country in the world. But also, since we're talking about health, it's a land known for its love for a good hot dog. (laughs) Did you know that on America's Independence Day in July 4th, Americans typically enjoy 150 million hot dogs? This is enough to stretch from Washington, D.C. in the East Coast all the way to Los Angeles on the West Coast five times but during actual peak hot dog season between memorial day and labor day americans typically consume seven billion hot dogs and this ladies and gents is enough to stretch over four laps around planet earth on the equator line so enough said without further ado please welcome our guest today connor bollinger (laughs) welcome connor Hey guys, thank you, uh, Charles, for that uh, for that kind introduction. Uh, you covered a lot there, and I'm looking to dive uh, dive into it. <laughs> and I just want to say thanks for having me on, and I love what you guys are doing here for the triathlon community. Oh, thank you for coming. I'm very excited to have you. Yeah. So you know, usually we like to start things off by going into our guest's childhood, and I was actually listening to this other podcast 
um, the other day, and they had this concept in it, which I thought we could try to introduce into our show as well. So let's say you had to write a book about your life from the beginning to now. So how many chapters would you think there would be? And what would be the sort of chapter titles for each of those phases? So let's start with the first chapter, you know, back to your childhood. What would you name it and why? Okay, this is, uh, this is a great concept. And um, right off the bat, I think we could uh, we can narrow it down to four chapters. Um, in the first chapter, I would say, I would call it the rocking the cradle chapter. And uh, the reason why I would say that is because that's the period when my parents probably got a divorce. And when I started remembering things and my memory was coming too, um, this was around age three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty significant uh, event to happen as a child at three years old. So that would be my first chapter. All right. So just, just expand on that a little bit more. How was, what was your childhood like? Oh, absolutely. So I'm the youngest or second youngest, I should say, of uh, nine boys total, but it's a mixed family. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I have two nephews as well. So the, the only females are wives and girlfriends. And then uh, there's two, two mothers. But, um, but in growing up in my, in my family, it was, uh, at under one roof, it was normally just like three or four brothers. So we went from having, you know, my parents owned their own business. We had the in-ground pool, the house on top of the hill, uh, to my mom living in an apartment above a garage and us living on a 365 acre cattle farm in upstate New York. So when people think of New York, they think of New York city, but, you know, I was only 60 miles north of Manhattan, but I grew up on this huge sprawling farmland, which was really interesting. Hmm. And sports was really a big part of our lives. My, my brothers wanted to keep us as a unit. Um, I remember having those talks as a kid, you know, five, six, seven years old. And so sports was something how we like bonded with because I had a brother who's only two years older than me. I had twin brothers that were my age, that were my stepbrothers at the time. So, uh, you know, my parents found their significant other, their second marriage pretty quick after the first marriage. So there, that transition point was pretty easy for me. So it was, it was very normal for me to grow up with two families per se. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I would uh, say would be the first chapter of my life growing in that family. So what kind of sports did you guys play? Uh, we, we played fo- American football. I played that for 12 years and then lacrosse. And I'm not sure if uh, you guys are familiar with lacrosse, but it's a very fast paced game, very contact game. So we were a contact heavy oh, yeah. sports family. Uh, you know, we were pretty conservative growing up. Uh, my stepfather, who I spent uh, most of my weekdays with, was in the military. He was a Marine. So, uh, you know, we did quirky things like we visited every military battle on the East Coast, uh, you know, in America. So, you know, going to Gettysburg, walking that, uh, going to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Washington, D.C., understanding the significance of that and having a real pride like any American does for our country. So um, those, those kind of values were instilled with me. But, uh, but American football is what really transitioned me into, I guess we can go to the second chapter of my life. And that's kind of me becoming a man in high school. So primary school, I was around 16 years old. I was uh, overweight, uh, pretty significantly unproportioned to my height. I was only like 5'6", but 150 pounds. And then I grew seven inches in the span of eight months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. A lot of growing pains. A lot, a lot of growing pains. Literally. 
There's a real scary story about uh, surrounding that. So my father is six nine. He played basketball at St. John's. Wow. So uh, that's a uh, under Lou Carnesecca, who's an Hall of Fame coach for the NCAA uh, men's basketball. So it was. I knew like we had some kind of athletic blood in us, and I knew I was going to hit a growth spurt. We just didn't know when, but it happened really late. Mm-hmm. You know, Sixteen years old is pretty late. So I remember going out to play catch one day, and I literally couldn't even run. It was just pains, ridiculous pains. And then obviously I went to the doctor and then I got diagnosed with uh, jumper's knee, runner's knee or Hodgkin Slaughter's disease is, is what it's sometimes referred to. Mm. A lot of basketball players get it. So, uh, so dealing with that around 16, I started leaning out and then I noticed I was there mentally on the football field and the lacrosse field. Um, and I could get by like getting playing time just through my athletic ability and my knowledge and experience in the game. But I wasn't there physically with the rest of the kids because I just didn't have the motor skills, maybe the hand-eye coordination or the quickness. And uh, I think that's what really projected me later in life into getting back into sport and, and, and you know, competing at a very high and more serious level than I do now. But um but so did you feel disapp- disappointed in that time? Was that like something that you missed or was it kind of a mutual parting of ways? So senior year, I started, which is all I wanted to do because all the seniors that started as well went and played college football. So I was just thankful to be on the field, honestly. But lacrosse, I was a captain. And in order for me to be on the field, I had to realize, okay, you got to work at these things because you're not going to get on the field through your athletic ability like most of these kids. Like the reason why I was a captain was because I knew the game. I knew the lacrosse game better than anybody else. And I could dictate what happens on the field that can make calls. So I was confident, the coaches were confident in my ability to do that, but they also knew my limitations. So, you know, there were, there was an instance like, let's say on the football field where maybe they needed somebody to make a play. So the other receiver, I played receiver, which is the guy who catches the ball. The other receiver maybe would get that play that was normally designed to me. But I understood that because I needed to take a sacrifice because we needed a touchdown there. And there's a higher chance that that person's going to catch the ball than me. So uh, yeah, I was disappointed that I wasn't there physically. And, um, and I knew, you know, I just, I wasn't there yet. I didn't have the muscle like structure, I guess. So how how did you uh, like after that growth spurt? How did you did you view yourself differently at all? Like what what changed after that in your mindset, if anything? Well, I credit a lot of that to the people I surrounded myself with. So in high school, it was your typical American, like he said, uh, like Charles said in the movies, like cheerleaders, the football team. So I hung out with the football team and these guys were fierce competitors. They went on, you know, they were captains of their college football teams. They were amazing athletes and they knew the game and they studied it, but they would teach me things about leadership and competitiveness that I've never seen on another level before. Uh, things like, yeah, I, my goal is just to make the guy across from me quit. Like if I walk up to the line and he's already mentally defeated, then I'm going to defeat him physically. It's going to be that much easier. And like those little nuances, I still carry into triathlon today. I mean, in a lot more humble uh, way than than obviously if you were on a football field, but confidence and and, and taking that ability to being – 
to being fully committed to what you're doing and projecting that outwardly. So maybe you might be able to get a mental edge over somebody. So those those things I really like to reflect on from those days and 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 carry those to to, to that. Do you do you feel like do you carry some of your kind of mental game, like understanding all the ins and outs of of triathlon? Is that a benefit to you in this sport too? Oh, absolutely. Like it was with lacrosse. That's it's one of the reasons why we why we love this sport, right? It's 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 sharpening the axe. It's, <laughs> it's fine tuning, you know, the the craft, if you will. If you listen to a lot of NBA players speak, uh, Kevin Garnett in particular, he's always like, "Yeah, I want to perfect my craft. I want to do this." And that's what obviously triathlon is. It's it's a learning process. You know, where I was when I first started, which we'll get to in a minute, to where I am now, it's you know night and day, obviously. Uh, and I would expect you to have that same uh, experience as well, because that's the goal here. You know. I'm not going to be a pro. I, I get that, but every you know little step forward is is just a, a little step forward. Hmm. So yeah, tell us when. How did you come up a triathlon? I, absolutely. Um, so I think starting uh, what Charles well, dovetailing what Charles said was uh, you know bartending in Manhattan. So I was I was in college in West Virginia. Um, I was there for two years, and West Virginia is always a top five party school. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go. They're really good at football, really good at sports. I know like outside academia, like I would really have fun there. Uh, for example, like, you know, we would burn couches for fun if we won a football game what? in the street. Like that's, yeah, it's the most outrageous thing. Uh, I don't know if you've heard <laughs> stories of this, but. <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the unique things they call it couch burning uh, events. Uh, basically, uh, at night after we win home games, you take a couch that's usually on somebody's porch and you lay it on fire in the middle of the road. Uh, but uh, so I went from that atmosphere to waking up one day. I was a sophomore in college and realizing like, what is this? I'm in the middle of West Virginia, in the middle of nowhere. Like, I can't really network here. Can't really benefit anything later in life other than just getting my degree and maybe setting me up for an internship at like you know, the big three or like some big like consulting firm. So I'm from New York City. And ultimately, that's where I want to be working after college. So I figured let me transfer there. Um, I could, you know, start putting out my tentacles, you know, networking really. And I had a brother brother that lived there. So I had some roots there. My mom lived just outside. And uh, I moved there and I, I, I wanted to not lean on to my parents. I was 21 at the time. And I just got done with a horrific breakup. We were dating for like two years. So I realized I need to focus. So what did I need to look, what did I look for to help me find uh, a medium? And it was weightlifting. Why weightlifting? It's easy. Uh, you know, I, wanna, I wanted to look good. I wanted to beach lift. So it was like arms, abs, chest, like, you know, that traditional stuff, like creatine, like just consuming you know, massive amounts of calories from what I thought was healthy, like a pound of pasta, a pound of meat. And, you know, I just really didn't feel right, but I knew I, I was doing something healthy, or at least I thought I was. So um, in New York City, if you're a college student and you don't want to lean on your parents, you need to make money. And that's something very, it's something hard to do without sacrificing a lot of time. So the best thing to do is bartend. That's the, my best advice for anybody out there that's in college because it doesn't take up a lot of your time. It keeps you away from alcohol and it's cash most of the time. 
And uh, so that was a great window for me, not only to maybe get into the nightclub scene, but also lean off of not like being too social in the alcohol scene, because there's not a lot to do in the city. Uh, You spend a lot of the times in the bars, a lot of your nights are, you know, in beer gardens or nightclubs or somebody's apartment. So you're drinking. So it keeps you out of that. So bartending was a no brainer for me. Now, my friend that I grew up with, played football with, he was one of those uh, captains of my football team, captain of my lacrosse team. He just graduated college. He was a captain of his lacrosse team in college and football team. He was a dual athlete. Um, I knew he was doing this thing called uh, Ride Across America, but it was called the 4K for Cancer for the Ullman Cancer Fund. And he, it's where you go from like uh, Annapolis, Maryland, or no, Baltimore, Maryland, all the way to San Diego. And it takes like 60 days. Have you guys uh, heard about this race? No, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense. Yeah. So he's never done a cycling event ever, never owned a bike. He's only, He got a bike two months before the event. So he goes out, does this, and then flies back to New York. And because he's such a good friend of mine, he shows up at my door with his bike and all this gear and he starts changing his tire while he's in my room. And I like just woke up in this fog. Like, I can't believe he's like here. And it just like unlocked all these emotions that I had of, wow, this is something cool. This is, this is something that's body specific to who I am and to what I'm built for, uh, endurance sports. And it was like a light bulb moment when I was in that, in that kitchen, looking at his bike, thinking I could easily do this. I'm built for this. So what, what clued you into that? Like you and endurance sports, cause all your previous sports like are very much sprinting oriented lacrosse and football are bursts. You're right. But I always knew that in those sprints, I was, I was developing as I got older, I was developing an endurance base, but in those sprints, I was never yet the first or even the top 10, but I could run all day. I was always kind of known for that. Like I never really needed to come off the field because I was tired, but I couldn't get to the ball quicker than most guys. If that makes sense. So you had that insight kind of going in that, that you had this ability Yeah. I remember as a kid, we were running home once. I was like 12 years old and I just like kept running and we got back and I was barely tired. And one of my friends was like, man, Connor could run forever. And I just never even thought about it until like (laughs) years later. But uh, yeah, I mean, I watched the TED Talks and they talked about body specific sport identity. Like how come gymnasts are becoming, you know, hand selected because of their height and weight and basketball players are being selected because of their height, obviously. And, you know, how they're, they're, they're doing this to complement the athlete so they could just basically, you know, get the best, most ideal body for that specific sport. Mm. My father, who was 6'9", you know, he was an all-state swimmer, I found out, when he was, you know, 15, uh, 16 in the breaststroke. And he was an all-state basketball player. And his father came up to him and said, you got to pick one path here because uh, you're not going to go to college for both. College is going to pay for one of them. So he had, and that his body length is perfect for a swimmer and perfect for a basketball player. Right. Like my hands are just as big as my father's at six, nine, and I've sized 13 feet. So I'm built like a tall, Swimming. lengthy, <laughs> yeah, human, which is great for, I think, long distance running. I've, I've found, you know, an easy uh, cadence there. And, and the swimming, obviously. Flippers. <laughs> Built-in flippers and paddles. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting that you mentioned you know, the, how the the composition of your body, the size of your body determines what you're good at. I, we, also, we also had a guest a couple of months ago and she did. She was a ballerina you know, back in her days and she mentioned how important the length of your neck, how crucial that piece was uh, to be a good ballerina. So I guess, yeah, every sport has its own sort of, yeah, measurement. Oh, without a doubt. And one thing in particular that runs in our family is we're very uh, we're very veiny, so the, our blood flow is is pretty pretty well uh, rounded. I mean, that's one thing I noticed growing up. Always, I always had more veins showing, so I always knew I had this like vascularity, hmm. you know, above everybody else. So that I think that plays in with my endurance, definitely. Interesting. So so take us from here to there. Like you, your friends there with this bicycle, and you're you're making this realization. So I, I'm making this realization that. That, you know, my life's just not cutting it at the time. Bartending in the city. Um, you know, I'm taking the occasional shot. I'm drinking some nights. I'm working at a Tony uh, award-winning Broadway show at the time. I was making hand over fist, most of it cash. I had a whole stack of cash underneath my mattress. I'll never see that much cash ever again during that, like in my life. <laughs> it was hysterical. This is like uh, seven years ago. Feels like, it honestly feels like 20 years ago and I'm only 27 years old. But um it uh, it was a really fun time, and I I was bartending at a coffee shop that was twenty four hours during the day, and I was bartending at the Tony Award winning show, and then I was refereeing a adult kickball league in the East Village one night a week, and basically it's a giant booze fest, and these adults <laughs> that are like twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, all the way up to thirty, come and they play a kickball, and then they go to the bar after, and I was basically like a chaperone. I like refereed it and then went to the bar and made sure nobody broke anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's, it was a really cool league. I, they have like flag football, you know, Frisbee, like more serious stuff, but like the kickball league had the reputation for being like the, I don't know, just Fun. booze fest, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, I was around drunk people a lot and it made me realize, okay, I'm looking at first it was cool because I was like 21, 22 watching these people do it. And I kind of was like, wow, these people are really cool. They get to come here. They get to spend, you know, $300 for this bottle of vodka. They get to spend $20 for this Red Bull vodka. And then as I was getting older, like 24, 25, I was thinking, huh, I was looking at people my age. And I was like, this is pathetic. Like, why are you doing this? Like, I know how much this bottle costs. You know how much this bottle costs. Why are you paying, you know, three times the price for it just to hear this DJ play music and and things like that? And just like the the detachment from Western values mostly is what I uh, what I noticed the most. And it it was the promiscuous, I don't know, games that not only girls but men would play with each other in those social situations with that level of alcohol flowing. So it was it left a bad taste in my mouth to say the least. And when when I saw my friend there, I said this is a purpose that you know could give me that that missing void that I had from high school of not being able to form at my highest athletic ability because they say you don't reach your your physical peak to your 26 years old. So I'm there at 24 at the time looking at my friend in, in the kitchen thinking, "Huh, I already 
you know, hit puberty probably two years, maybe a year and a half later than normal people. So my biological age right now is probably like, you know, a couple of years younger than what I normally am. You know, that's what at least I like to tell myself. But um you got the you know, wiggle room. I have a lot more in me to prove and 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 this seems like a great way to be healthy. Like lifting hurt. It hurt a lot. How so? It's just I mean, I wasn't lifting heavy and I was lifting smart because I was just lifting to look good. Um, it was just a lot of inflammation. So that's when like, then I was, I was running twice a week. I was running like six miles. That's also why I thought triathlon could be cool because, you know, with lifting, you want to do some cardio and, um, and, and there's the, also the aspect of like the whole European feel of cycling that I think plays into, to maybe the appeal or the mystique of triathlon. It's like, Huh, that's something that you don't see every day, or I've never grown up, you know, idolizing a cyclist like this. You know, Europeans do it. You know, this is a cool new niche I've never seen before. So that that whole thing ties into, I think, why people get the triathlon bug. But that's a that's a larger that's a larger uh, conversation to tackle. But um, but I think the uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what what were, what were you asking? Oh, I was just, uh, you know, was curious why you said lifting hurt. If if it was something like you felt like you were giving yourself injuries or it wasn't right for your body or um, it was just too much of one thing, not enough balance. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think people don't know what they don't know. And I think they only, they're comfortable just doing the same thing because that's what they're familiar doing. Um, and I think lifting and there's a, there's a generation of, of, of people, I think my generation and especially I saw this when I was living in Ireland uh, for eight months. It's this, you know, it's it's that beach I want to look good lifting. And I wasn't lifting heavy. Um, you know, I was doing delts twice a week, you know, chest twice a week. But it, it was just a lot of inflammation. A lot of that had to do with diet, obviously. But it, I don't think lifting that much is good for the body. I think you really got to balance it with some endurance, but smart endurance. And and smart endurance, I, I like to categorize swimming as the perfect workout, like bar none. Uh, when I started swimming, I got taller, I feel like. Uh, my posture's gotten better. And I'm more proportional to like, you know, my chest to delt to back ratio, like all of that. I just started forming basically a different body than what I had lifting. And, and that's because you just get used to, you know, going in the gym and doing all chest and tries, you know, back and buys and, and you're never really switching it up. Triathlon gets the body moving. It gets you, yeah, you're doing three sports, but you know, you're doing them totally different if you're doing, you know, an endurance workout, a power workout, an interval workout. So there's variations, but no, yeah, lifting definitely, uh, the inflammation really, really hurt. So how do you, how do you integrate the strength training into your triathlon routine? It's a great question. I love answering this question because I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be to be genetically uh, blessed. Like I've had family members live over a hundred, like multiple of them, and there's no like hereditary diseases in my entire family. It is you know I'm very blessed for that. So um, I don't really need to lift weights per se. So I do strength specific workouts in the pool on the bike or running. And I learned this from Brett Sutton. Uh, I'm sure you guys heard of him, coach with, uh, for the Tri-Sudo program. Mm -hmm. yeah. And 
If you haven't, he, he emphasizes focusing on the meat and potatoes. So what does that mean? That means like hill workouts for running. That means like low cadence, high wattage on the bike, or I think a lot of our swim workouts, at least from what I've noticed is like 80% with paddles. And this year, since I've been doing that program, I've been doing it for, I think 13 months. I've noticed my, uh, my body, my muscular tone is increased and people have said that I've definitely leaned out and become more of a triathlete looking frame since I started working on this program. But that also, I'm not going to credit it all to the Brett Sutton philosophy. Um, I also, you know, tweaked my diet significantly as well. So I think the combination, but I notice I'm, I'm only gaining strength in all three. So, right. but it's, you know, it's, it's the off season. So I'm, I'm, I'm lifting again. I actually, I've been hanging out with some of my, like, uh, my bodybuilder friends to try to motivate me to, to lift heavy again. I kind of miss it. I don't know. I think there's something cool about it, especially doing like functional uh, mobility stuff, like flipping tires, uh, throwing sludge hammers. I think it's not only fun to do stuff like that, but I think there is also like an, a huge mobility gain. And on top of that, I think every triathlete, and I'm probably not the first person to say this in your podcast, yoga. Yeah. Uh, especially, yeah, especially uh, hot yoga, you know, th- those heat shock proteins, um, just sitting in a room trying to mentally hold a pose while all these other women around you are kicking, you, you know, your butt is <laughs> a huge, satisfying, humbling experience. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's that's really just a great point you brought up because a lot of triathletes are very strong in the front linear mode, like going forwards. But all those things you mentioned are stability for side to side and and core body. So that's a great insight. I think you know a lot of people could take away. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that you know, I write down goals every year. I write down about five. I write down like two realistic ones, two, you know, that I'm really going to have to strive for. And one, you know, is, is a pie in the sky goal. But one of my goals was to maintain structural integrity on my long runs in the race. So I, I did 11 races this year and only two of them were half Ironman distance. The rest were a short course. So it's not really, I don't really race for a long time, but on those half Ironmans, those half distances, I really wanted to be able to maintain that form of structural integrity so I could build on to, you know, a faster race pace and not even have to worry about throwing, you know, compensating different areas uh, of my body to, for my form. So that's something I definitely focus on. And I think yoga is a huge uh, contributor to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how you, you know, you, you look at the sport from, uh, you know, like you could say a bird's eye view. Like you mentioned, even in the story that you sent through, that this sport is just a variable in the journey towards a healthier and adventurous life. So I love that statement. And that's a, you know, I was thinking about that statement the other day. And I think, you know, I treat this sport as a competitive outlet. Um, And that switch was turned on probably about two years ago when I was in a race and somebody passed me and I realized I was like, wow. Like I could be going, ju- I could be going just as fast. This is a total race. Like I, I know I could do the distance. Now this is a race. It's not, can I finish? It's how fast can I finish? So I think, um, this, this complements my healthy lifestyle, especially when you start reading about longevity and the biohack craze, which I'm not sure if we're ready to go down that rabbit hole, Ooh. but, um, <laughs> 
it is uh it's i'm definitely seeing uh that this sport if you do take it easy it's definitely good for a long time but i can't keep competing at the level i think that i'm competing at for a significant amount of time i probably could take some time off and then come back this intense but i'm burning the candle at both ends i think so for now i'm going to keep the pedal uh, on the gas per se and then we'll deal with the rest down the road when you know i get older i like how you can really see the kind of common thread of the reason you were ended up as captain of your lacrosse team is, is really your ability to think about all the aspects, bring them together. And you can clearly see that you brought that to triathlon. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> how can you not, you get really lost in the, you know, I signed up for an Ironman in 13 months. Let's get cracking a training. It goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You signed up for a race in 13 months. How do you know where you're going to be mentally, financially, physically, <laughs> like, you know, like what? So, I've like I did a race this year, the best race I ever did. I signed up two two weeks before I did it, and that's because I felt amazing physically. And I was like, "Wow, I got nothing to do that week. Like that's an easy taper week. Like I could travel that weekend. Like okay, this is a low risk, low stressful experience, and I'm gonna go out and crush it. Mm. And I think that contributed to my uh, to my uh, overall outcome of that race. Well, I think there's a lot of triathletes who are just more visceral. Like they just kind of experience it as more of a body sport go out and run go out you know maybe don't want to think about it it's just you you've got a different approach to it and i like you know i like that we can highlight that here oh yeah and it's it's funny because it, i like to obviously I have a lot of hot takes about triathlon I've, i mean i consume myself in this sport and i think there's three you know major groups of triathletes there's the professionals there's the weekend bucket list and I just want to, you know, go out there and do it because it's good for me. And then you have the middle people who I kind of falling into where you're competitive, but you're not, you're not good enough to be a pro and you're competing. So you're not really just going out there to do it. And I think those are us sometimes we're the, we're sacrificing the most because I'm not, I actually shouldn't say we're sacrificing the most, but we definitely, I feel like, feel underappreciated because, you know, we don't get the recognition, but we're, we're taking it a little bit more seriously, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm communicating that as uh, politically correct as I should be. <laughs> <laughs> no, it totally, totally makes sense. No, and I, I think I saw that a couple of weeks ago when I was at a local race and some, you know, we went off course and, you know, it, bottom line, it's our fault because we're the athletes, but one of the one of the kids who went off course with us, there was about eight of us came up to me and he's like, you know, man, I drove eight hours through the night to be here. And and I thought, wow, like that is a huge sacrifice this kid just made to come out and and literally just waste, you know, waste some time to to complete this race. And, you know, there's always somebody faster, there's always somebody more dedicated. There's always somebody that's that's you're going to find motivation in. So there's no lack of motivation in this sport, and that's what's uh, that's one of the most beautiful things. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned that the sort of lack of recognition uh, for those uh, people in the middle. I know, for example, so the Ironman sort of uh, organization. You know, they have this uh, sort of tiered program that they call the the old world athletes or something like that. No. And uh, I think it's a way for them to maybe this is what I've what I've seen. You know, is to sort of to give them a little bit of recognition, not to say no, you you are good. And and the way they do that is by obviously every at the end of the race, depending on how well you do, you get some points. Uh, 
So if you're good at it, you get points. But I guess also the other side of it is that the, the more races you do, the more points you get as well. So it's a little bit of the, how to strike the balance. But, but yeah, I think that's the way that at least I've seen them how to sort of give you some recognition and then you may have some some rights in terms of oh you can check in earlier or or things like that but uh, but nothing beyond that i've seen oh no and i've seen uh you know lifetime try is doing you know their their age group championship event which is interesting uh, you know they're awarding a lot of prize money a lot of free entries um, so it's good to see that cause they want to get the, uh, the elite slash competitive pr- or premier wave, I should say, um, some more traction, which is, uh, which is definitely a good thing. Um, and I see, you know, leagues like major league triathlon, they're holding events before their events. Uh, they're doing like open super sprints where they're, you know, handing out pro cards where you apply to race these, uh, these super sprints. And, um, I, there's, there's, there are ways to promote it, but, um, I definitely, it's, you know, it's a, it's a game of inches and it's a game of, of seconds, obviously. So, you know, to, it's, it's a sport where it's not forgiving at all. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why we love doing it, I guess. It's, it's that, it's that hate love. (laughs) We're all crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Just a degree of crazy. (laughs) There could be worse vices. Uh, I saw some guy, he was getting a chocolate milk at the grocery store the other day. He looked at me, he was like, oh, I know there's so much sugar in this. And people will do this because I'm like really skinny and they think I'm some kind of like health freak because I have like, I don't know, broccoli sprouts in my car and like these weird, like, I don't know, foods. And like this guy just said this to me, but I'm so used to it. And I said, listen, man, there's worse vices than this. And like little did he know, like I, I scarfed down like three donuts that day. So... <laughs> But you didn't put them in your grocery cart. Oh, no. I went in there incognito <laughs> at like 7 in the morning. <laughs> well, I mean, worse vices, we could be burning couches in West Virginia. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Those are dark times. Very dark times. <laughs> but um, I, I definitely want to uh, emphasize the nutrition aspect of this sport. And I- Yeah, that's what I wanted you to get into. You know, you mentioned the biohacking and the nutrition. So just talk to us a little bit about that. What do you do? Yeah. How do you decide what you want to do and how it's helped you? So if you don't know about biohacking, just definitely look into it. I don't want to like talk about at a very high level. It's manipulating, I don't know, your body and your environment to get the most out of yourself cognitively, emotionally, and uh, and physically. So um, if you know Ben Greenfield, uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, Tim Harris, uh, even Joe Rogan, then you're probably familiar with this and this might be repetitive, but if you're not... Um, it's basically optimizing human performance to get into your ultimate flow state. And your flow state is, is that state in which you're, you're basically functioning at your highest level. So there's like, I'm writing a blog right now that's going to go on my website. It's going to be called the Biohacker Starter Kit. It's basically just going to tell you, give you some recommendations on how to, uh, I don't know, how to limit the stress in your life um, and how to basically hack your environment so you can eliminate brain fog and uh, and things of that nature. So uh, one of those things in particular, I'm wearing them right now, are these blue light limit limitation glasses. I guess you can call them. They're just lights that uh, glasses, yeah, that I wear if I'm front in front of the laptop or TV to uh, to filter the blue light. Oh, yeah, I've been using those the past month or so as well. Um, they're pretty helpful. Yeah, they're really comfortable. So some other examples, obviously, uh, is 
is nutrition, but um, I think hot and cold uh, submerges. So doing a sauna post-workout uh, or like I said, that hot yoga, really uh, heat shocking those proteins and those muscles to uh, to enhance recovery and overall muscle growth. But I think cold showers, uh, Ben Greenfield always jokes about, he goes, people find it so hard to learn how to take a cold shower. And then he just does like the hand twisting knob because that's literally all it is. Just <laughs> Take a cold shower before you go to bed, especially if you work out at night. You will get the deepest sleep of your life. Um, the sleeping, opti- the optimal sleeping temperature for a human, I'm not sure what it is uh, in Celsius, but is around 65 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So pretty cold. Yeah. That's when your body will definitely get the most REM sleep. So if I do do a late workout, let's say six post 6 p.m., I'll get in the shower. Yes, I'll, you know, I'll take a warm shower and then I'll just sit there in the cold for like 10 minutes. Get the core body temperature down. That's another quick biohack. Another biohack is BCAAs, which is a supplement. I get them in the tasteless form. I don't do a race or a workout without consuming BCAAs in my water bottle. They're great for recovery, uh, branch chain amino acids. There's the building blocks for protein, uh, really good for recovery. And um, one last thing that I think everybody should be doing right now, if you're not doing it already, is probiotics, gut health, kombucha. Um, fix your gut health. There's a lot of studies, and I'm not going to go into them, but you can look them up yourself. There's a lot of studies between brain health and gut health. And the brain talks to the gut. And one in particular situation that I can comment on because it happened to me a couple of weeks ago and I thought it was very interesting because I just was reading about this. I went out drinking and I don't normally drink. I woke up and I needed to go out for a a 60 mile ride. I think I was doing that day. Well, I had one of those splitting headaches, like absolute splitting headaches. So, you know, the room was spinning. It was like seven in the morning. I needed to go out for this ride. All of a sudden I was going to vomit. So then I, I did what I needed to do in the bathroom. And then about 10 minutes later, my headache went away. So I sat there and I reflected and I thought, well, was that my gut? telling my brain like, hey, whatever's in my stomach needs to come out and it's going to come out soon because, you know, almost immediately my headache subsided. So um, just interesting stuff uh, surrounding your gut health. So uh, probiotics and kombucha. Hmm. So I do have to ask about your latest post about ketones because that's one I hadn't heard of. I've, I, I live in the land of kombucha and BCAAs and stuff like that, but, but I hadn't heard of taking ketones or eating ketones. Yeah, this is an interesting field too. And I'm fortunate enough to have a really close friend. Actually, the individual that got me into triathlon uh, without revealing too much was employee number eight at uh, human, aka uh, at HVMN. It's really pronounced human. So he's kind of been feeding me some insider information of what they've been doing as a company and where they are in the marketplace. And all I could really say is, and I really don't want to air out dirty laundry just because I don't know what's published and what's not, is the entire endurance community is is on board. And you could look up Lance Armstrong uh, had the CEO of Human on his podcast. Um, I think he said two-thirds of the tour teams were using it. So what it is, it's 100% pure ketone esters. And they were contracted by the DOD, Department of Defense, and this was a supplement that special forces uh, units would take when being dropped off in remote areas, essentially, so their bodies could live off minimal food. Hmm. And what 100% pure ketone esters do is it jumps your ketone levels to 4 ml. 
And that's the significance of basically a week-long fast. So one of my uh, really good friends, Ty Jensen, uh, this is a, a really good biohacker. You guys should definitely give him a look. Um, he, he did a whole test with this, with testing his ketone levels, and it worked. Within 30 minutes, it jumped it up to four, and, and he was already in a, uh, in a uh, keto state or uh, ketogenic state, I should say. So, um, you know, the first time I took it, I did a swim workout and I really felt a lot of lactic acid buildup. And my friend recommended that I do it in a workout, obviously, because, you know, triathlon one-on-one, don't do anything new on race day. <laughs> um, Ty had a very similar effect. He did like a, he did a high intensity interval workout of like, you know, a mile sprint, a, you know, 30 minute watt bike and stuff like that. But Ty is like a bodybuilder, so he kind of felt the same uh, symptoms. And I thought, uh, okay, I don't know about this stuff. But I then went into my first half Ironman. I said, I need all the help I can get. So I took it and I ended up qualifying for 70.3 Worlds. And uh, what what I kind of knew going into the race was Tim Don takes it and a bunch of other uh, professional triathletes take it. So I thought, okay. This, I'm confident enough if these pros are taking it and it's WADA approved that I'm going to take it. So it helps burn you know, your previous meal before it taps into your glycogen storage. So basically, you don't have to eat as much food on race morning essentially, which I really like because I'm like a minimalist when I race. <laughs> but just to finish up, my last post that you're referring to was um, – was at ITU Worlds. And so, like I said, I'm a minimalist when I race. I thought maybe I could do this race on no calories. You know, I wake up, I have a small breakfast and that's it. I have noon in my uh, electrolytes and amino acids in my water bottle and let's call it a day. Let's see Let's see what happens. Well, leading up to the race, my diet really wasn't 100% where I wanted to be. I was traveling. I really couldn't get, couldn't really store a lot of, uh, a lot of the carbs that I wanted to for whatever reason. I just didn't prep properly. So race morning, I, uh, I had half a yam, two hard-boiled eggs, um, a th- one-third of a cup of Greek yogurt with a handful of blueberries, and that's it. So for an Olympic triathlon, that's really not a lot if you're you know, trying to do a sub-two-hour. You know, it's, it's, you're going to be burning a lot of calories moving that fast. So, um, so before the race, I took it and – Honestly, halfway through the bike, I didn't even realize that I didn't even take a sip of my water yet. So I was, you know, 45 minutes into the race, not even realizing, you know, 45, 50 minutes in the race, not even realizing that I didn't even consume anything yet. So I ended up, you know, only consuming about 100 calories in the race, but I ended up getting stomach stitches about one third of the way through the run because my stomach was so shrunk. And my abdominal, my lungs were so inflated that it was pushing down uh, a lot of pressure on my abdominal area, giving me the stomach stitches. And that's because nothing was in my stomach. So uh, overall, it was it's a great product. Uh, everybody uh, under the sun in the endurance community is bought on apparently, but it's the NFL, the NBA, and and the NA- NHL that really isn't, and the MLB that really isn't bought on yet. But uh, there's some big figures that are endorsing the product as we speak. So how was the experience of the Worlds? Was it the, your first time in Australia? Yeah, Australia, you know, it's funny because my experience with Australians have only been fun because <laughs> there were always the, they made the, up the whole swim team at West Virginia University. And I lived in a house 
where the girls above me, there was five girls that lived above me and they all dated the swim team guys. So they dated all Australians. So I got to hang out with them a lot and they were the craziest kids on campus, but really fun, you know, in a good way. Um, but the, the country itself, it's uh, the way I compared it is like if Gold Coast in particular, I'm not going to say the whole country, but Gold Coast, it's like if South Beach, Miami and Williamsburg, Brooklyn had a love child, it was so like <laughs> chill and, and beautiful and wow. you know, exceeded my expectations. That's awesome. That sounds very appealing. Yeah. I mean, I lived in Williamsburg for, for three years and it kind of reminded me of that, but with a South Beach flair. Like people were walking around with no shoes on and I was like, this is cool. <laughs> I do want to ask you about your upcoming swim run race because uh, that just sounds super intriguing. And I know you're raising money for a, for a good cause and thought you might want to talk about that for a minute. I, I'm super interested in swim run, but haven't made the jump yet. So how did you, how did you get interested in that project? Just like anything else, my Instagram alert went off and this uh, gentleman, Tom Hickman reached out to me and said, Hey, uh, you got time to jump on a Skype call. And I thought, oh, you know, this seems interesting. He sent me a link to their uh, to their website. So uh, Tom just seemed like a real genuine individual. He's the CEO of the Bali Hope Project. So uh, it's called the Bali Hope Swim Run. And I don't know. I mean, I have a good judge of character, I guess you could say. Um, and I felt, you know, this was something that was really genuine. It was real. Um, obviously, they did the ultra marathon last year. And he showed me the impact video and it was like, wow, you know, I, I donate to charities a lot, but you never really see where that money's going. And, and, and in this particular situation, it's going to be going right to the uh, recycling center. We're going to be partnering with the Ch uh, Children of Bali Foundation. So um, they're the ones that are going to be donating the money to the recycling center. But uh, what, what's really interesting about this whole situation is um, I was on the flight to Australia and this gentleman, he was American, uh, an Australian citizen as well, owned a textile mill in Bali and said, because he owns a clothing company, he said, I haven't been there in five years because the pollution is so bad. Mm, that's terrible. He said, it, it's really bad. It's coming from Java. And uh, apparently uh, Tom said that they're getting about two tons of garbage a day or yeah, two tons a day. And this and this gentleman corroborated that and said, yeah, in the morning they go out there with these machines and they just like pile it up in these huge, huge uh, piles on the beach. And then they have these sifters in the water that like all single use plastic. But um, we're raising money for that. I'm going out with my old coach, Ben Greenfield, uh, who was one of my mentors when I first got into triathlon. He's an eight time uh, Team USA triathlete and dual athlete. So uh, he's a really good runner. And I think right now my swim might be better than his because he's been focusing on marathons. So I asked him to join me because when I'm struggling out there on the run, he's basically going to be carrying me. <laughs> and have you guys trained together like as a team yet? Well, I live three hours north of Manhattan, but like we used to race and train together all the time. He's like beaten me by, you know, two seconds in races before. Uh, we just haven't trained in a while, but I don't know. I think... Part of the excitement is I think we're both going to go out there without ever training together. And I think that's <laughs> going to be part of it, like the whole mystique. I've never done a swim run. I've never been to Bali and I haven't trained with Ben in a swim run yet. So, Well, I can't wait to see that, uh, that recap. Well, all right. So this is, let me bring this full circle actually, because I wanted to get back to this. When uh, Charles was talking about Coney Island, the last time I did a swim run, I was bartending in the city and I 
wanted to do a race that weekend. It was like really cold in September and um, the Coney Island Aquathon was going on. And I bartended till four in the morning and then closed down the bar, cleaned it up and then got to the race start at like 630 in Coney Island. And and then I won the I won the Aquathon. The <laughs> the last it was swim a half a mile, then run three kilometers, and it, I won overall. And then I got my race photo in front of the Coney Island Nathan's hot dog eating contest sign. <laughs> <laughs> so there we came back to hot dog. Yeah. So full circle. Yeah. The the birthplace arguably of the hot dog was the last time I did a swim run. <laughs> Okay, you have now just 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 with that you've become our most impressive guest on that front. That was that was that was brilliant. <laughs> I have Coney Island written down right in front of me. <laughs> awesome. All right, Connor. So, sort of to wrap things up, let let's get back to that book book concept. So, going forward, what do you want your next chapter style to be? So, my next chapter that I want to be is is something that that I could build on for, I think the next 20 years. So I'm starting to build the uh, building blocks for that. I'm, I'm getting a certified health coach uh, certification right now. Um, you know, I think this biohacking thing has legs. Um, I don't think it's just another bu- buzzword or uh, I don't think it's another CrossFit. Um, it's, it's something a lot of people are receptive to I've noticed. And, you know, when it comes to nutrition and you start talking scientifically with big words, you just start losing people. But I think there's a, uh, there is a devious mystique to this word biohacking that people have their ear, uh, you know, raised a little. So I think my next chapter is maybe going to be something along the lines in this space. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, I like the nest I've built. You know, I, people think I come from just, you know, a white picket fence home and, you know, this jolly la 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 holiday family. But reality is just I'm a blue collar guy. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked for what I've had. And I've built this this nice little world. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to move along. Yeah, we'd love to get you back on maybe again later on just, you know, one episode specific to biohacking and nutrition, stuff like that. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time and having me on. Uh, it's great what you're doing, like I said. Thank you. And so definitely been awesome. What's the message you want people listening to this to take away from your story? So my message is uh, usually the same through and through when I get asked this question. I don't take your health for granted. Look around. There's disease rampant, uh, mental and physical. And some of it's hereditary, some of it's self-induced. But never take health for granted. Uh, really value your health and do whatever you can to, to stay here as long as possible. Like I said, I'm not you know, I'm not here for just a good time. I'm here for a long time rather. So that's, that's the way I want to live my life. Right. And are there any people or brands you'd like to give a shout out to? Uh, yeah, I think I would have to give a shout out to the whole full throttle, uh, endurance community. They're the ones that got me to the sport, Scott Berlinger, Andrew Cayley, Danny Vieira, Ben Green in particular, uh, Adam Ishmael, Ty Jensen, and then obviously my parents and brothers for, uh, helping me get to, to where I am today and reaching my goals. Perfect. Okay. And before we ask our last question, tell everyone where they can find you online. Yeah. So my website is balitry.com or at balitry on Instagram. Very simple. Bali spelled B-O-L-L-Y and T-R-I for try. Perfect. Okay. And our last question. Why do you try? I tried it so I could spread a positive message for longevity. Great. Awesome. Maybe the shortest but most concise answer we've got to that question. 
<laughs> I've, I've answered that a few times, and I think that's that gets right to the heart of it. That's like a mission statement. He's he's whittled it down to the essence there. Totally. They they asked us this at Worlds actually, and I I asked the guy. I was like, hey man, can I uh can I redo that? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Connor. No, thank you. I really appreciate it, guys. Take care. Yes, thanks. Very thank much. you, Connor. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed today's show and love the hot podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave the podcast a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Your review helps us out a lot and would be very much appreciated. Thank you all again for being a part of this community. If you haven't already, you can find us and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Strava at Humans of Triathlon. So head on over there and let us and our guests know how you liked this episode. Also, the show notes for everything mentioned or discussed on the episode can be found on our website. That's humansoftriathlon.com slash hotpodcast. And be sure to join us again next week where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon. And until then, everyone, keep trying. <laughs>